Tonight, we're going to continue in our study from Zechariah. We're going to pick up with the second message from Zechariah chapter 13. But before I get started this evening, uh, let's look at Romans 11, verse 26. That's in your outline, and if you're watching on our website, which is woodland.church, uh, then all these notes are there, and you can follow along with us there. But there's an interesting passage of Scripture that Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, and verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved, and as the Scripture says, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. A few years ago, I preached a series through the book of Daniel, and then I kind of gave the congregation a rest from that, and we came back and we did a series on Revelation. When I was studying for the ministry, you didn't study Revelation without studying the book of Daniel, and that's still true in a lot of seminaries and Bible colleges that you study both of those books together. One of the things that makes Daniel and Revelation so rewarding to read together is you see the fulfillment of those prophecies in Christ. Zechariah is that chap that book of the Bible, as I've said almost, and there's so many fulfilled prophecies that we see in the Gospels. Well, the passage I just read to you is a promise to Israel. God is going to turn Israel back to himself. They're going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. That's not something we can force by government. That's not something we can force like some people in past history has, have done with a point of a sword or a gun. It's just going to be something that God does in their lives. Now, what's very interesting to me today is how many Jewish people are coming to know Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this series, I talked about some of the Messianic prophecies here and how in my hometown, there is a very large Messianic congregation that's meeting and worshiping. And to meet these Jewish friends as they have given their hearts to Christ and others that I've met through the years that have given their hearts to Christ. I remember two of my classmates that had come to know the Lord through a ministry called Jews for Jesus. I asked them one time, what's the key? They said, build relationships. Never try to force anybody. Never try to convince it. Just build relationships and let them see Christ in your life. And when they have questions, be prepared to answer them. I asked a friend of mine who pastors a published author of many best-selling books. I asked him the same question just a few years ago when we had lunch together. And he said, build relationships. And I can't begin to stress to you how important relationship building is. When you read the Gospels, Jesus was always building relationships with people. So much so that folks felt free to come to Jesus and ask him the most outstanding questions. Do you remember how that James and John's mother came to Jesus one time? And she came to Jesus and most scholars believe that their mother was Salome, which was the, the wife of Zebedee. She came to Jesus and she said to Jesus, kneeling before him respectfully, she says, Jesus, I'm asking you to grant a prayer request for me. And he said, what is that? He says, she said, I pray that both of my sons, one will sit on your right hand and one will sit on your left hand in your kingdom. Do you remember that story? Powerful story. Well, when I think about that, number one, Jesus taught us to pray with great faith. I'd say that was pretty astounding faith, right? Number two, she came reverently. She knelt before the Lord. Number three, she asked boldly, but she asked 
without considering the cost of the prayer request that she was asking. And she also asked for something that divided the disciples rather than united the disciples. And sometimes when I think of the selfish prayers that I prayed and how they might divide people rather than unite people, I thank God that he's not answered my prayers. As a matter of fact, Jesus would look at James and John and he'd say, Jimmy John, are you going to be able to drink the same cup of baptism that I'm going to drink? Which he's talking about the cross. And they go, yeah, we can do that. And then they both fled and abandoned him in the garden. Here's my point with tying this all together. We're praying for the restoration. We're praying for the coming of the Messiah. But there is going to be some terrible times between that. So you and I need to pray with faith and conviction and build relationships so that people feel free to approach us and that we pray according to the will of God. But we also understand as you read this chapter with me tonight, what a time is yet to come. So if you will, let's look at Zechariah chapter 13. First two verses I preached from last week, but I'm going to go ahead and repeat them again tonight. On that day a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, and a fountain to cleanse them all from their sins and impurity. Can you say amen to that? I mean, especially after we looked at that last week. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will erase idol worship throughout the land so that even the names of the idols will be forgotten. I will remove from the land both the false prophets and the spirit of impurity that came with them. If anyone continues to prophesy, his own father and mother would tell him, you must die, for you have prophesied lies in the name of the Lord. And as he prophesies, his own father and mother will stab him. On that day, people will be ashamed to claim the prophetic gift. No one will pretend to be a prophet by wearing prophet's clothes. He will say, I'm not a prophet. Well, you would too if you thought you were going to get stabbed. I'm not a prophet. I'm a farmer. I began working for a farmer as a boy. And if someone asked them, what about those wounds on your chest? He'll say, I was wounded at my friend's house. Now, there's a shift here. There's a shift, and God is going to talk about his shepherd. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn against the lambs. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land, and I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver, purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I'll answer them. And I'll say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Boy, when you read that the first time and you just kind of go, wow, mothers and fathers stabbing their sons. When you read about the, you know, so many people dying, you go, how in the world is this good news? Well, I hope to help you see that tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you that you'll help us to understand the refining that takes place and help us to understand what judgment really means. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I say judgment, oftentimes people think something negative. But judgment is always redemptive in the eyes of God. How many of you have ever read the book of Judges in the Bible? 
I love reading Judges. I love reading the stories about Gideon. I love reading all of those fabulous stories. God would raise up a judge. And what was the purpose of the judge? The purpose of the judge was to deliver Israel from their enemies and from their troubles. And so God talks about frequently, and the people of God frequently pray in the Bible. They pray for judgment against their enemies. They pray for God's justice to arise. Judgment is not a negative thing. It's the redemptive purposes of God that God brings into our lives. So when we read about Gideon, when we read about Ehud, when we read about Ehud slaying Eglon, and when we read about Samson, we're reading about God's justice coming upon the enemies of the people of God and God raising up a judge. When I was a youth pastor, I preached a message one time called, Here Comes the Judge. And as I preached that message in that day, most kids knew about the old song about Here Comes the Judge. But when I talked about Jesus as judge and told some of the stories from the book of Judges, our students really grasped that and got a hold of it, how the judgments of God are to be celebrated. Well, how can we prepare for that time? So far in the book of Zechariah, one thing keeps coming out, repent of your sins, repent of your sins. You see, repentance always precedes cleansing. And cleansing always follows genuine repentance. Repentance always precedes cleansing. And cleansing always follows genuine repentance. Do you remember last week we talked about how nice a shower felt when you came in from the working in the fields or working in your yard and you wouldn't think of going to a wedding because you're running behind and you're dirty and you put on your suit and your tie or you put on your nice dress but your body is dirty no matter how much deodorant and how much perfume you might put on you're still going to stink and you're still going to be dirty well, it just so happened that later in the week, I had the opportunity to talk about talk with someone that hadn't yet crossed the line and used that illustration, how our good works, they can't save us. We need the cleansing that the blood of Jesus brings to us, that fountain that we looked at in those first two verses. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, then I referenced this Sunday morning, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now, look at that passage, that last sentence again, because I don't think I'm doing injustice to this passage of Scripture when I read it like this. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. Those are three marvelous promises to people who genuinely repent. Cleansing comes and healing not only of our souls, but healing or restoration of the land comes. So often in the Bible, the rains, the fertility of the ground, the climate, it's affected by how the people of God are living. In 1 John chapter 1, 9, Pastor John says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, let me go back to James and John for just a moment because I'm fully convinced that James and John had this conversation with their mother ahead of time. They've been listening to what Jesus said. If you have faith and if you pray with a mustard grain of faith, well, everybody knows God's going to listen to your mama, right? 
I mean, that's why some folks say, well, you know, pray to Mary because she'll go to Jesus and ask Mary, and Jesus is always going to listen to his mother. I don't buy that, but there's no place in the Word taught for that. But evidently, James and John had a bit of that in them, so they said, Mama, you go ask Jesus. Now, they're his disciples, but they said, Mama, you go ask Jesus. And she goes reverently, she goes boldly, she goes with big faith, and she asked him for something. But something that's happened in these boys' lives that have genuinely changed them into men. Now, remember... The only disciple older than Jesus, as best we can tell, was Simon Peter. So all of these were young men that started the church. When you read about the church starting, it was primarily a very young church. Now John's a lot older. He's a lot wiser. And he recognizes at times you and I pray selfishly. We live selfishly. At times you and I need a shower. Okay, that's called revival. We need a shower. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us. And I love this part. He not only forgives me, but he cleanses me. He washes me up. You see, when Jesus returns and restores Israel, sin will no longer defile the nation. Now, that's an important point tonight. That's what we're taking from the book of Zechariah. Everything has led us to this point. And you read this this powerful and this graphic prophecy. And if you read it out of context or you haven't read the whole chapter, maybe you just listened tonight for the first message, I would pray you'd go back and listen to all of them. Then you don't understand the justice and the judgment God is bringing because he loves his people. Sin is a cancer. Sin is worse than a cancer. Sin is what has brought in the violence, the disease, when Jesus died for our sins, he not only redeemed us from sin, but he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Everything that you can think of, violent and negative, whatever is happening in Ukraine, whatever is happening in Venezuela, whatever threats are coming from China, North Korea, it's all because sin came into this world. But God is always going to have a people. Now, you've got to remember this too. And I don't have time to get into this, but we've talked about it before. But according to the book of Galatians, and everything that Paul teaches in the book of Romans, you and I are also the seed of Abraham tonight because the seed of Abraham is seed by faith. Look at what he says in verse 9. I will bring that group through the fire. What fire? The fire of the tribulation. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name. I will answer them and I will say... These are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. There will be a national revival of Israel following the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to gather his people unto himself. There will be a period of time upon this earth that's going to begin peacefully, but it's going to be followed up by what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. And let me talk for just a moment because in the background of this is the man of sin. In the background of this is the Antichrist because he is going to be one of those false prophets leading the people astray. Now, John also says the spirit of Antichrist is already with us. So from the very beginning, the spirit of Antichrist has been here, but there will be a time where there will be one man in which the spirit of Antichrist really manifests himself. I, I think the spirit of Antichrist was manifested in Hitler. 
I think I don't think Hitler was the Antichrist. I think the spirit of Antichrist has been manifested in his numbers historically of leaders who have tried to stamp out the church, stamp out the Jewish people. It's that spirit of Antichrist. I think whenever you see the spirit of Antichrist manifested, and, and I don't mean to ruffle any feathers, but I will not back down from this one iota. When you see people marching on the Supreme Court with anger, when you see people going to the Supreme Court justice's house, one young man wanting to murder uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, friends, that is nothing but the spirit of Antichrist mistaking what freedom is at the expense of butchering babies in the womb. Abortion is nothing more than the spirit of Antichrist. Is there a time that it might be medically necessary? Yes, but those are so rare. I just have to double check my figures, but I checked with one of our major hospitals here in the metro area how many abortions had to be done last year to spare a woman's life. And friends, it did not hit the double digits. And I just have to be double sure before I go on to quote the hospital where that was at. So sometimes we're being fed a lie that this is about freedom, reproductive freedom. No, this is not. This is about the desire that our license to sin can be built upon the blood of children. And we have to be honest about that. There were two evils that plagued Israel. And those evils were idolatry and false prophets. Idolatries and false prophets. Now, you may think we don't have any problems with idols today. We're an educated nation, but we've made idols out of sex. We've made idols out of, some people have made idols out of their family. Some people have made idols out of sports. They put, anything you put before God is idolatry. And a false prophet is anyone that will come along and tell you what you want to hear so you can continue in your idolatry. And so those two evils always plagued Israel. And when I'm talking about Israel tonight, I'm talking about the nation of Judah as well. It plagued Judah and it plagued, it plagued Israel. That's how God looks at them. He says, when I'm going to restore Jerusalem, he's talking about restoring Israel, Judah, Jerusalem. So let me take you to a story here because we've, look at me, we've always had false prophets. We have them today. We've always had false prophets. Jehoshaphat added, but first, he, now let me just tell you, Jehoshaphat is with the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. And the king of Israel wants him to go to war. And Judah, and, and with him, and they want to fight against a common enemy. But Jehoshaphat said, first, let's find out what the Lord says. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them. Circle that in your outline tonight. I put it in bold and underlined it so you could see it. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked them, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? They all replied, yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king the victory. Well, Jehoshaphat looks at 400 preachers. That's what a prophet was. 400 preachers, and he's going, something doesn't sound right. I forget what Supreme Court justice it was when they asked him to define pornography. He says, I don't know that I can define it, but I know it when I see it. So Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord? Well, they've just prophesied in the name of the Lord. He said, is there not? He's, in other words, he's asking, is there a man of God? We should ask him the same question. Well, the king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. 
He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, well, that's not a way a king should talk. Let's hear what he had to say. Now, here's what I want you to get. You need to underline that number one. There were 400 prophets to one man of God. The church has always been a remnant. The church has always been a remnant. Let's go on and look at another story. Now summon all of Israel. This is the prophet Elijah. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who were supported by Jezebel. I just have to tell you the story. One day Becky was checking out of the grocery store when Andrew was just a munchkin. He was sitting, you know how they used to sit in the buggies there? And Andrew looked at the lady behind him, and she was all decked out. And he says, are you Jezebel? <laughs> Becky said, I like to went through the floor. And she goes, well, I guess I look a little bit like her. But anyway, supported by Jezebel, Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Carmel. Now notice, 950 prophets. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer waver hobbling between two opinions if the lord is god follow him but if baal is god then follow him but the people were completely silent underline that the people were completely silent then elijah said to them i am the only prophet of the lord who is left but baal has 450 prophets and he didn't even mention the other 400 prophets 900 prophets to one Please don't ever make the mistake of thinking the majority is right. Please don't ever make the mistake of thinking the crowd is right. Please don't ever make the mistake of thinking, now this is important, that because you've got vestments or a suit and tie, that's right. Do you remember reading there, they're going to ask about the wounds on his chest? If you remember, the prophets were flagellating themselves. They were cutting themselves because they hoped in cutting themselves. Somehow they were going to convince Baal to move. Elijah would make so much fun of them. He says, you know, maybe Baal is sitting on the toilet. and He can't hear you right now. Why don't you scream a little bit louder? So they screamed in frenzy. Did you know that was in the Bible? Some of you look at me like, I didn't know that was in there. He screams a little bit louder. and They're beating themselves more. It's the pagan rites. I've been in countries where I've seen Christians that used to be pagans. They're cut, they're scarred where they used to do that for their gods. The only one that's going to bear scars is Jesus, and he bore those scars for you and me. Now, we may get scars in serving him, but it will not be because we have to scar ourselves. Let's go on and look at what Jeremiah said because Jeremiah faced the same problem. Now, got to remember, we've talked about this all through this message. Zechariah has referred over and over to the preaching of Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah. He's referred over and over to these preachers. Daniel will prophesy because or preach because he's been instructed by these pastors. Jeremiah says, from the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they're all frauds. They're only superficial. They offer only superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. In other words, what he's saying is, there are no easy steps. 
There are no easy steps to removing sin. Jesus is going to have to bear the cross. Jesus is going to have to shed his blood. And if you get your eyes on kingdom power without the kingdom's cross, you've missed what great faith is all about. I think James and John's mother was a good woman. I think she was helping support Jesus according to the scriptures. But you've got to keep your eyes. Jesus says, take up the cross. God says a few things here I want to wrap up with tonight. I won't take long with them. But God promises that even the memory of the idols will be removed. You know, one of the things that troubled Augustine, if you read and I asked one of the men who's here tonight one time if you tell him I was reading one of Augustine's books, and he goes, oh, great, and rolled his eyes. It's rich. It's deep. You can get into it. But one of the things that troubled Augustine was that even though he knew his sins were forgiven, it was the memory of his sins. And it grieved him that the memories of the dancing girls of Rome would come back to him. Have you ever had those experiences where memories of your life before you gave Jesus, they come back to you, you go, oh, I don't even want to think about that. I don't want to remember that. See, when Jesus comes again and the kingdom is established, even the memories of our sins are going to be gone. Isn't that wonderful news? I mean, that's how purely he's going to remove it. I think about someone who, and I only say this because the question was asked publicly in here, Someone who said, I have trouble forgiving myself when I remember. Oh, friends, I can't wait for that day when we fully understand just how deep and how wide the love and the grace of God really are. On that day, says the Lord of Heaven's army, I will erase idol worship throughout the land so that even the names of the idols will be forgotten. Secondly, the desire for God will be so great that false prophets will not be tolerated. They won't even be tolerated at all. And I mean, in other words, the people on television, you know, that are saying, you know, I really need you to give me money so I can buy a private jet to fly and preach the gospel. You know, these people, they're not going to tolerate that anymore. The guys that come over from the Middle East and sit in an ashram and, you know, sleep with all kinds of women or men, whatever they decide to do and lead young people astray, they won't be tolerated anymore. Those who preach about, you know, it's this rule is going to save you. This rule is going to save you. This diet is going to save you. Paul dealt with these people all the time in the New Testament. False prophets will not be taught. He said, I fear that after my departure, vicious wolves are going to come in among you. He even said, after my departure, there will be people that will come in to try and divide you to build a kingdom around themselves. He said, there are some people I know they're preaching Jesus only to make me jealous. They're not preaching out of the right motives. And Paul just goes, but I'm just thankful Jesus is being preached. But there's a time coming when the motives of our hearts are going to be revealed. If anyone continues to prophesy in Zechariah 13:3, if anyone continues to prophesy, his own father and mother will tell him, you must die for you have prophesied in the name of the Lord and he prophesies his own father and mother will stab him. Now, you need to understand, Deuteronomy and Leviticus both talked about, and Numbers talked about this. You cannot speak things falsely in the name of the Lord. If I get up and say, thus saith the Lord, I jolly well better be sure, thus saith the Lord. 
It's the reason when I'm praying, even when I sense that God has spoken to my heart, when I'm praying with someone, I'll never say, the Lord told me to tell you this. I will just pray about it with you. And if it bears witness with your spirit, you'll know. It's the reason that sometimes somebody wants to say, Thus saith the Lord, and they want to get all dramatic and powerful. You better be careful when you start that kind of garbage. And I know I'm stepping on some sacred cows when I say that. God does not take that lightly. If you speak in my name, I want you to be sure you say what I said, okay? And if you think you are saying what I said and you're not even sure, you think you got the gist to say, this is the gist. I don't know this is exactly what he said. In other words, we're dealing with God's word because your word is your bond. Number four, we're given the promise, oh, excuse me, the false prophets will be ashamed of their past. Almost skip number three there. On that day, people will be ashamed to claim the prophetic gift. No one will pretend to be a prophet by wearing a prophet's clothes. What's he saying? God is going to so move on the hearts of some of these people, maybe out of fear, they're going to say, I'm no longer going to do that. A friend of mine who went into deep error, he and I have traveled all over the southeast together. We were friends before he married. You've seen him. If I was to call his name, you'd know him. But he got into deep error and would repent of his deep error theologically. And his nephew wrote a book about what all had happened in his life. I still pray for him because I love him. I remember when he had a heart that was white heart for flood height white hot for God. Here's my point. All of us sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us get dirty working in the fields of the master. All of us get dirty working in the vineyard. All of us need the cleansing. All of us need the fountain every single day of our lives. That doesn't mean we do gross sin, but if we're not careful, the Bible says it's the little foxes that will spoil the vine. And then finally tonight, the promise of a Savior shepherd. <sighs> Remember I told you to look at that where the, it, this, the narrative shifts and he says, I'm going to awake the sword against my shepherd, my partner. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my partner, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn against the lambs there are two things you need to see here. The incarnation. What is the incarnation? That's when God became man. That's when God became Jesus. Now, look at me. I, 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 sometimes I can set the plow deeper on Wednesday nights than I can on Sunday mornings. How did God become a living human soul in the womb of Mary? What was God like when he spoke that word into Mary, and that conception took place. I mean, you should think about that sometime. The God Almighty that the universe cannot contain, that he holds in the palm of his hand, suddenly, somehow or another, he himself was incarnated in the womb of Mary and would grow up to be the one who carried our sins to the cross. That's something we have to wonder about and think, not just at Christmas, but wonder about the greatness of God and that he became a shepherd for us. But we're also looking at the atonement 
Because all of those sacrifices pointed to an innocent lamb that would come and take away our sins. Jesus, God, who never sinned, fully man, fully God, he becomes the sacrifice. And when his side is pierced, and we looked at this last week, glory to God, listen, when his side was pierced, blood and water flowed forth, and John caught that, and he remembered that a fountain would be open. Why? Because God awakened the sword of the crucifixion against our Savior so that you and I and our sins could be forgiven. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 26, on the way. It's on the way, he's on his way to be crucified. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That same quote is in Mark as well. Where's that coming from? It's coming from Zechariah 13. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Would you look at Jesus in the Gospels? The fullness of God is there, the spotless Lamb of God. And then as Peter preached, in fact, and it happened here in this very city, for Herod, Tippus, Pontius, Pilate, the governors and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you appointed, anointed, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So when you read Romans, excuse me, when you read Zechariah 13, you're reading about the refining. The people who still refuse to follow Jesus, they will be consumed. And thank God, even after Christ gathers his church to himself, what we call the rapture, that word's not in the Bible, but after that, that gathering to himself, the parousia, after that gathering, people will still come to know the Lord. But there will be a time of refining fire like never before. Look at verse 9 of 13. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. Now he's talking to the Jewish people here. And they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. A friend of ours passed away this week or last week. Hadn't given their heart to Christ yet. But I was talking to one of their family members, and they said, no, as far as we know, they never gave their heart to Christ, she and her husband. And they said, but interesting, they thought they were Christians. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, why did they think that? And they said, because they supported President Trump. Now, folks, that's a tragedy at the deepest level. It's the tragedy the Jews made when we think we're saved just because we're Jewish or just because maybe we support the right political ideas. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash away our sins. And our hope is in nothing less or no one else than Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And that's what Zechariah 13, wait till we hit Zechariah 14 next week. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for the cross. And I thank you for the refiner's fire. And I pray, O oh Lord, that your refining fire will be in my life and in the lives of these who are listening and those who love you tonight. And I pray, Lord God, 
for a great last day revival before Jesus comes so that no one that I know or love is left behind. But Father, they are ready, ready, ready to meet you. May we take these words to heart so much that, Father, we commit ourselves more than ever to building relationships the way you built relationships. And, Lord, like Salome, praying big, bold prayers. And if we need to be corrected in our praying, Lord, we trust you that you will correct us so that even like John, one day we can write with wisdom and it be left for us as the Word of God. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching. We're going to have a Q&A session here tonight. If you've got a question, just kick it out to me here on Facebook, and I'll take a look at it later, and I'll try to respond to you.